Before we get going, I just want to tell you this is a big week for high performance. We release the High Performance Daily Journal, and also we announce the 2023 venues and dates for the High Performance Live Tour. To get all the information, just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. That's thehighperformancepodcast.com. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and you're listening to High Performance, our conversation for you every single week. This podcast reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's all there. We're just here to unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. Myself and Damien Hughes are about to speak to one of the most impressive sports people on the planet so they can be your teacher. Remember, this isn't about high achievement or high success. It's celebrating the real stuff, high happiness, high self-worth, high self-care. And that's exactly what we discuss on today's High Performance Podcast. I think it's about me then going forwards into that pressure environment, that competition or event or whatever it is, that I've done all I can. And I think when you do that, pressure does lift slightly doesn't lift completely but it lifts slightly because actually there was no more that I could do in that period leading up to the, the competition or there's no more I could do literally on the day of the competition. I've checked everything off. It wasn't sustainable almost having that mask up. I think I didn't realise at the time but one day that's going to come tumbling on you and it's going to start crashing and I think it, it got to a point where it did. So that made me fall into this rut and I just struggled with it. I just felt completely lost, didn't know what to do. Motivation was so low and I think motivation for me being low was, was quite hard to deal with. I felt sluggish, I felt drained, tired every single day. It's a mental game. And that's where you see in sport, especially, but in any pressured environment, the most talented people in the world that would win every day in the training gym crumble under the, that, that pressure because it's a mental game. So today we welcome Max Whitlock, um, the most remarkable male gymnast that this country has ever seen. One of the most impressive Olympians that we've ever had. A man who has every single year, year after year, focused on winning, whether it's at the Commonwealths, whether it's at the Europeans or the Worlds, or of course at the Olympics. Max Whitlock has become one of the go-to golden boys for Team GB in the Olympics. But here's the truth. Even someone who's achieved all that he has, even someone who has all that he has, he still struggles, he still suffers. And whether it is Danny Cipriani, whether it's Tyson Fury, whose episode will be out very soon, or whether it's one of the many, many people that have joined us on this podcast to reveal the truth about their mental health challenges, I'm so excited and pleased that we're able to finally have these kinds of conversations. So here we go then. This is Max Whitlock telling us the recent challenges that he's had with his mental health. And I think it's important to point out that, you know, this is something that he's in the middle of at the moment. This is not something that Max is able to process over two or three years and then reflect on. This is something that he is living with at the moment, something he is challenged by at the moment every single day, but also something that, as you will hear him say in this podcast, has given him the clarity to make sure that the next time he walks out at a major tournament, he does so with less fear than ever before because of the path that he's walked recently. Listen, I really hope that if you're struggling or if you know people who are struggling, this podcast provides a great help. Let's welcome to High Performance, Olympic champion, Max Whitlock. Hold up. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's start with what high performance means to you, Max. I think for me it's a tricky one because... As a person, I always advise and always try and do as much as I can myself in terms of never comparing to others, um, which is becoming increasingly more difficult nowadays with social media and everything like that. But I think when it comes to performance, I think it's measured. And I think you, you kind of, if you're labelled or you're seen as a high performance individual or group, I think it is excelling above others in the same field. I think it has to be. Um, but I think one of the biggest points is is doing it consistently, so doing it and sustaining it. So it's never seen as maybe a one-time thing or it could have been a fluke. Like, I think it has to be something that it's almost seen like that person or that group have got a method. They've got this, what they do, whatever they do, it works and it's sustainable. So for people listening to this who have great days and not so great days, (laughs) what advice would you give them regarding consistency? How did you find it and keep it? Consistency is really difficult because I think a lot of people look in and from the outside looking in, they can easily look at athletes and look at people that have achieved a lot of results and a lot of success throughout their whole career and just think that it's fine and dandy and they've, you know, every day is successful and every day looks good and fine. Um, but knowing that, I think that one big tip is that knowing that it's, it's not like that. Everyone is human. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody knows all the answers, I think is a key thing. But just trying to have a routine in your day. For me, I think I live for routines. Gymnastics is I go out there, I perform routines. But I probably do get a bit obsessive when I'm outside the gym. You know, routine is what I how I structure everything. So when I go to competitions, it's completely based and it's completely the same it's a mirror image of how I go into training in the gym talk us through it so I think it's I think it's almost it goes into the tiny details of you know if you was to go into my my gym bag everything's where I put it everything's you know I know where everything is so a lot of people sometimes their their gym bags would look a mess like they'd have stuff that have their guards that have their gym shoes everything will just be all bundled into one mine's all laid out I'm organized I'm like it's all set like that and I think so, I think everything's set like that, 
me going into competitions, me going into pressure environments, uh, uncomfortable environments where you're not feeling kind of settled or your, your nerves are at an all-time high. I've checked off everything that I can do. You know, everything that I've done, so preparation's done. Um, I'm as consistent as I possibly could be. I know I've worked as hard as I possibly can throughout this whole build-up. But I've checked off everything. In my head, you know, there's, enough, there's no kind of, you know, the saying, like, no, no stone left unturned. Like, I've done everything. And I've done everything the same as the way I normally prepare, prepare for a training session or a practice competition. I go into a competition ready in that sense. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But how do you avoid that falling into superstition? It's almost hard to avoid superstitions because I think you, you get into a pattern of, you know, I suppose if something works, you move forward thinking of what you've done that time. It works for the next time. Um, so then you fall into a pattern of thinking, right, I need to do that and do that because that's what I've done last time. And if I don't, then it won't go the way it should. So it's kind of hard. Um, but for me, I just try and think about the kind of the technical aspect of it in terms of getting everything lined up in terms of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, what times I'm doing it and getting everything ready and organised. But then doing everything so recovery will be the same time means I'll be doing everything exactly the same. And if I can do that as much as I can, as much as I can control... I think it's about me then going forwards into that pressure environment, that competition or event or whatever it is, that I've done all I can. And I think when you do that, pressure does lift slightly. It doesn't lift completely, but it lifts slightly because actually there was no more that I could do in that period leading up to the, the competition or there's no more I could do literally on the day of the competition. I've checked everything off and I'm ready to go. And the only thing I can go and do is, is my best shot. And I think that's the the mindset that I've had for pretty much every competition. I think that was kind of a, something that I've learned how I compete best and, and that's what I do. Which reminds us of what, when we did an interview with Tom Daly. Mm. He spoke about the methodology that's yeah. similar to, uh, to you. But he added in a really fascinating element where he spoke about conducting a pre-mortem as part of that preparation as well of working out what are all the things that could go wrong that could right. kill performance. Right, okay. So that way, if he felt that that was an important part of his routine, that okay. if he then anticipated it, if it happened, he also felt he could deal with the worst that could go that way. Do you? I don't. It's an interesting point. I think everyone works differently. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe he's gone through learnings that have led him to thinking that way that that actually helps him now in his situation. So I think... I've always tried to stay on the, the side of the fence that's, you know, a prime example in Tokyo before my final, my Olympic pummel horse final was the most nervous I've ever felt. You know, pressure's all-time high, expectancy was at all-time high. The whole day, so my final was at 7pm, the whole day I was literally battling in my head, trying to stay on the positive side. Negative sides slip in, like, like potentially you could muck up on this, potentially you could muck up on that, all this stuff. That's only natural, but for me... At that time in my career, I was batting it away. I was trying to keep that to the back of my mind as, as much as I possibly could. I think for him to be able to say that he just confronts that head on and almost prepares for that side of it, that, that's quite impressive in, in one way. So invite us in then to that moment of pressure because we've had so many of our high-performing guests that would cite you and what you do of preparing for that one moment in a four-year cycle mm. as the ultimate of high performance. So invite us in. What does pressure mean at that moment? What are the kind of things that is creating it? And then tell us, how do you mitigate against them? 
I think the types of pressure for me, it's interesting because it's changed as I've you know, progressed through my career. I think if you take it back to London 2012, I had pressure on my shoulders, but I was 19. I was um, kind of a, a youngster going in. I wasn't expected to produce any results. So for me, it was almost just the, the pressure of just giving it a best shot and hopefully it pays off. That's looking back is now a really, you're in a huge advantage if you're in that position. That position is one of the, the best positions to be in because if you work well under pressure and you've just got that little bit on your shoulders and you're just going and giving it your all, that's really dangerous in a competition environment. But as I kind of progressed through the four-year cycle from London to Rio Olympics in 2016, there was a small change in terms of our me and Scott, my coach, we was on a mission on those four years and I wanted to prove something four years later. I got results on that on that cycle, which then basically the pressure times by 10 pretty much. Um, so there was a lot of pressure going on on my, on my shoulders going into Rio. Explain the results that added to the pressure. How did that work? So for example, in that cycle, so London 2012, I come out, we got team bronze. I got yeah. an individual bronze, which was huge. Huge, huge, huge. And I think, you know, going in as never expected to do that, it, it kind of blew up for me and then kind of acted as a springboard. Um, and I really kind of used that result to really push and spur me on. So 2013 was successful, 14, it almost rolled on. 2015, I made history in getting the first men's gold medal at World Championships. And it was massive. But what I'd done was then the, the Olympics was coming around the, the, the following year. So then the pressure ramped up because I thought if you could do it at Worlds, then you can, you know, you could go and you can have the potential to do in Rio, which that was my target. My target was always to be in a position to gain a title, an Olympic title. But getting there, yeah, the pressure was really on, really, really on. And it was a really interesting scenario because I'm not sure if you, if, if you watch or remember it, but that final day, I was lucky enough to make two finals, the floor and the pummel horse. I was never expected to do anything on floor. I was going to be amazed if I got a medal. When I got gold, it was crazy, but I had to refocus because my main target was pommel. But what it done was it take, took loads of pressure off of me. So pommel was coming up, but I'd achieved that gold medal. So for me, I was almost, I was going for the job that I come here to do. Felt free. But I almost felt like the pressure lifted slightly because I'd just achieved that. So that was a huge advantage. But then the interesting part was moving from Rio to four years later or five years later to the delayed Olympics to Tokyo. And I think it changed from being the ramped up pressure that it was in Rio, that times by 10 again. But what was kind of plonked on top of that was expectancy. And I think expectancy was quite difficult because it was different to pressure um, in the sense that if you go and you do what you're expected to do, it's great. It's brilliant. But if you don't, you're kind of seen as it's not good enough and you're seen as a failure. And now, are you sure that that's what everyone was thinking? Or are we now starting to talk about you projecting your own thoughts onto others? Or were these messages coming to you crystal clear from your coaches and things? Not from my coaches. Um, I think from, from, from the general public in terms of 2018 was a clear message of this. I got It was a year of silvers for me. So I got silver in Europeans and I got silver in Worlds. And I got I got slated for it in, in quite a few ways um, because I'd seen that I failed the whole year because I was, I was expected to get gold because that's what I got before. But because I didn't, silver in a major championships is like... 10 years ago, I would have grabbed it. Yeah. And that was, that was... It kind of hit me to think that 
I understand that now and it's seen as anything less than gold is isn't seen as what I should be getting. That's healthy? No. No, So who who's seeing that? In terms of what was going out, in terms of how it looked, in terms of headlines, in terms of everything like that, it was seen as I failed. And that's and that's how it was. Don't get me wrong, I'm massively grateful for the amount of support because alongside this pressure, alongside this everything the pressure's ramped, but support is ramped up as well. Crazy amounts. You know, there's so many people out there that are rooting for me to go and perform, to, to do what I'm expected to do in, in a way. So I, I'm massively, massively grateful for that. But there is the flip side of that expectancy. And that on your shoulders, yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not sustainable. You obviously do incredible amounts of physical training. You do lots of um, focus on nutrition and like tactics and technique and all yeah. of that how much help or how much time were you investing in coping with these mental pressures that are coming your way not a lot and I think that's where I've learned a lot in the last year I've been a gymnast for 22 years um, and I've always kind of which I think is, is a good thing but I've almost tried to stay on the positive side of things and almost had this um, barrier up that if I was if I was to ever be asked a question about anything like that, I'd almost shut it down um, because I'd always want to move forward. I'd look forwards and look towards the next thing. So even if I was asked if I you know, buy a, a team selector or another coach or anything like that, like, how's your training been? Has it been good? Yeah, it's been good. Like I'd always just be like, because I was always trying to stay on that side of it. And for me, I felt like psychologically that helped me stay positive. I was on the right track. I was doing what I was doing. But I think that, got to a point and like I said in the last year it's been a massive learning curve for me where that wasn't it wasn't sustainable almost having that mask up I think I didn't realize at the time but one day that's going to come tumbling on you and it's going to start crashing and I think it it got to a point where it did but I never thought I'd be that person that I would ever fall into a position where that all kind of crumbled on me when you say I never thought I'd be that person mm. is that because you thought that that person is a weak person, someone that struggles with the mental challenge. Is that how you'd kind of created your mindset? Yeah, yeah, in a way, I thought for me as a person, I've never really spoke about how I feel too much to people around me. Um, just never really talk too much about emotions or feeling. Um, <laughs> people laugh because <laughs> I got my Tokyo gold medal and my celebration was was pretty much that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm just, just not that type pump. of person yeah. um, to just, on that side of things and on the negative side of things, to just really talk too much or explain my emotions or anything like that too much. So I think that was really a really difficult thing for me to do. And I suppose in a way, yeah, I think I've probably done it because I saw myself that if I did speak about it or I did do that, it probably was a weak thing for me to do. But I definitely had a lot to learn in that in that in that mindset that I was in, um, and changing that was was essential. But that's a learned behaviour in many ways that you don't speak about your emotions, you don't show extremes of either end of the spectrum of joy or mm. or, or or disappointment. So tell us about where you learn this idea of just bustling it up. I don't know, but I. I suppose as an athlete, I've never, even when I've been in environments where it's incredible, at Olympic Games, Olympic Village, Olympic atmosphere, the home games, London, like the atmosphere is crazy. I never take anything in. So I've always been a person to almost kind of calm things down a bit, not 
kind of get overwhelmed by these situations that I'm, you know, these environments that I'm in, because I've always thought that actually that's that's what helps me as an athlete, because I'm I'm sitting there, I'm in my zone, I'm focused on what I'm doing, and there's no doubt that that has helped me as an athlete. There's no doubt about that, but I think that's got to a point where it's almost crossing the, across every emotion, and I think that's where it just didn't help me. We often say on this podcast that nothing comes for free. So the decisions that you were making and the work you were putting in and the consistency you were showing and the medals you were winning mm. weren't free. And the cost is something that we need to talk about. Mm. So you've already said it came crashing down. Yeah. Would you mind, if you're happy to talk about it, sharing for the benefit of people listening to this who, who may be in a similar place to where you were or where you are now, the moment that it, that it came crashing down and the impact it had? Yeah, 100%. I think, um, I think, I think talking about the, the, in terms of the process as well, in terms of what helped, what made me fall into that is, I think is really important as well, because I think after Tokyo, um, I, I always have a break after Olympic games and I'm fortunate enough to have been to free. I'm fortunate enough to feel like I've learned a lot and learned what I need to do to then return back to sport. So after Tokyo, I had the same mindset as I did after the other previous games and it was, take a complete break like no exercise nothing complete time off and fully reflect and there was an interesting kind of point in that period of time because the first three months was amazing I it was, it was funny because I I love training I love gymnastics I love I feel fortunate to be a gymnast I really really do I feel very very lucky but I felt a real sense of freedom um, I had no ties to go to train every day um, I could be at home as much as I wanted with my family which was incredible it was Willow Bone then yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I love that time of it, but I think the no tie, ties part that, and almost I, I basically had a sense of contentment after Tokyo. I just retained my Olympic title. And I've done more than I ever could have dreamt of in sport. I never expected anything of these results, anything. And I almost felt a period where I was content. And I think contentment is a really interesting topic because I always thought I was searching for contentment. And I think sitting here, I don't think I, don't think I am. I don't think that's what I'm searching for right now, maybe in the future, but I don't think I am right now. And I think at that point, I decided that I was done. I was done with gymnastics. I'd finished. But because you felt content? I think a big part of it was because I felt content because when I said to Scott, my coach, to people close to me, to my family, I sat down, I, I spoke to him. Because it's a big thing for me. I've been a gymnast for 22 years. It's my identity. It's what who I am, what I do. So I sat down with people close to me and I spoke about that. I think it's my time that I'm, I'm done. And everyone was shocked, massively shocked, because no one knew it was coming. And one of my reasons, one of my big reasons was because that feeling of content. But I almost feel like it was a false sense of contentment. And I think the real reason was because I had a massive fear of failure um, moving forwards. And that's how I kind of, I was looking to the future and I felt I've got a fear of failure in terms of I don't want to go, potentially try and go to the next Olympics and fail, fall off not qualify for final and I was almost thinking about the negative side of things which I've never done throughout my whole career so almost basically reflected and that come out as I'm done and I think that's what made my decision which was a crazy part and that's when it all started to wear off so that sense of freedom that sense of just feeling just happy content and doing what I'm doing that started to wear off and then I started to struggle I started to really struggle and then I started to fall into this rut where just felt completely completely lost i think as an athlete i i kind of always 
looked forward and never looked back. And I think in this position, I'd done exactly the same. I was looking forward and I could see nothing, basically. I remember sitting on the sofa, I was getting upset talking to Leah, my wife, and just saying that I felt like a failure. I felt like a complete waste of space, quite felt useless. And it's because I didn't, it didn't matter what I'd done. It didn't matter how, what results I had or anything like that, because that was done, that was behind me. And I had the same mindset as I was when I was an athlete in terms of I'm looking forward and I feel lost. So that made me fall into this rut and I just struggled with it. I just felt completely lost, didn't know what to do. Motivation was so low. And I think motivation for me being low was, was quite hard to deal with. I've always been someone that's found motivation quite easy to find from my whole career even in a sport that's quite samey day to day, I've always been motivated. I felt sluggish, I felt drained, tired every single day. I even went, Leah, booked me a blood test because just to try and check things, to, to see, to try and find kind of what the answer was. Everything come back fine, which I suppose was a positive. And I think it kind of, as I started talking to Leah, I started talking to my family, which took me a long time, really long time. How I hard was to, that? Yeah, really hard. And that, and what's annoying if I look back now is that it, it took me too long to talk to them. Because if I'd have spoke earlier, I would have cleared up in my head how I was feeling. Because I really, I really, at the beginning, I struggled to even know that I was even struggling, struggled to know that I was feeling any type of way. Because the first conversations I had, I couldn't, I, I was like literally stumbling on my words. I couldn't even put into words and try and get it out what I was even feeling like. I was so unclear in my own head. I think it's because I was just completely out of my comfort zone and didn't, didn't, it was so far from what I'm usually like. And I struggled with that. Will you describe that period of, of where you were contentment or where you felt you were content? Mm. Because I'm really intrigued by that because I think a mm. lot of us are striving for that, for that place. And then yeah. how... Like, what did it feel like? But how did you know that, in hindsight, you said it, 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 that it was a false sense of contentment? It's really interesting. That's what I find it really interesting. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm still learning. So I'm, I'm coming to you today. I, I haven't got all the answers. And if I stumble, I'm going here and everywhere. It's because I'm still in the kind of a learning phase. But I think I had the same mindset in terms of, well, surely that's what everyone wants. They're searching for that contentment. They're searching to achieve what they want to do, be happy, content with their lives. But I think... You know, you never know, I might be at that stage when I'm a little bit older, potentially. But I think right now, that's what I thought I was searching for. But I've realised I don't think I am. I think I'm more searching for the feeling of trying to push the boundaries, trying to see where I can go to. Um, because that's the mindset that I've had through the 22 years of being a gymnast. Well, you know, me, me and the boys always used to chat like, when do you think you'll stop? When do you think you'll retire? Everyone has those conversations. And for me, my, my answer was always, I want to keep going. I want to, I want to go for as long as I possibly can. And because I had that fear of failure, that, I, that what I thought was a false sense of contentment, it switched like that. 22 years having the same mindset and all of a sudden I switch and I'm done. And I think that's crazy. And that's why I think it was a false sense of contentment because I feel like at the moment, if I'm content, then I'm settling because... When I had the talks with my family and my coach and everyone about me being done, I did say, like, I feel like I could do some more, but I feel content at the same time. I felt like there was always, like people were saying to me, oh, but if you go to 
Paris Olympics and you achieve this, it will make this history. Or if you go to this and achieve that, it will make that history. And I almost thought like, oh, I'm content because I don't want to be swayed by stuff like that because there's always going to be some more history that you can try and aim for. That will never, ever stop. So where do you draw the line? And I thought, I felt like I was searching for contentment. I felt like I found it. That's me done. We had a fascinating conversation a few episodes ago with um, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee that spoke to us around a Japanese concept called Ikigai right. that might be of interest to you with this, Mark. So okay. the, the context of this phrase, Ikigai, came from some research from a guy called Dan Bootler that went around communities in the world where like long life is prevalent where people were living to a ripe old age and he looked at what it was and there were some elements of diet lifestyle things like that yeah but they all had this concept of ikigai somewhere close to it which was people in it effectively managed to answer four questions of what do i love doing what am i really good at doing what drives my economic engine and how can i make a difference to the world with what i'm doing Mm-hmm. And he found that when you can answer those four questions, it's almost a sense of purpose that emerges. Yeah. And it's not necessarily measured by gold medals or bank accounts. It's being the person that you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like at the moment, yeah, I couldn't agree more because for me, it's all about that kind of find, finding that purpose and what that was because I felt like I lost it. Um, what did you think it was before you lost it, though? I always had my I always had my targets. I always had stuff that I wanted to do. I always had my I think it was you have your goals, but you have your journey to get there. And I think throughout the journey that that kind of gave me that purpose. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to try and achieve. And I could see I was making progress. I see I was making improvements. I could see I was having an effect. I was making impact on grassroots. I was doing all this stuff. So ticking some of those boxes in terms of those questions. And I think all of a sudden, when you kind of remove what you've done for so long. 22 years of gymnastics that was you know people talk about it in work and if they if they stop working or they stop doing anything like that when people retire they get the same feeling like I feel like I had that feeling because I, I felt like I for for a bit I lost my identity so I, that's why I felt lost but on those days where your body's aching you're exhausted you've worked yourself to a frazzle mm. what got you up on the next morning to go and do the same thing again in that in that period where you were going and winning Olympic gold medals and doing that, what was the answer to that question? The feeling of self improvement and the feeling of making progression towards my goal in kind of my peak age. I'm in the gym thirty five hours a week, six days a week. Like my role, my life revolved revolved around gym from seven years old. So for me, that was my purpose, and I. Going at me, going in the gym, learning new skills, doing new stuff, seeing progression in myself, but being surrounded by people are doing the same on the same mission. Everyone's enjoying it. Like I go in the gym and I, I have fun. Like I love gymnastics. I go in the gym and I, I muck about. In competition, it's, you know, you have to be focused. And when you're preparing at the times, at the right times, you've got to be focused. But it's important to actually have a bit of balance and have a bit of, I have a go and I'm focused. I come off and I relax, I chill, I chat, I do whatever. I think that is what kind of provided me with that fulfillment in myself. So which elements of those ingredients were missing? In the last year, probably all of them in terms of that, you know, because I... (sighs) Well, I suppose enjoying what I'm doing, 
like I I enjoyed being at home I enjoyed you know being I love being I love I'm a home person um I love being with my family I love spending time with my family but I think the kind of the purpose the making an impact um I think those those things I was missing and those things weren't getting ticked off for me so I can't Im- begin to imagine how scary it feels when you've done this since seven years old yeah and everyone's lauded you and you know almost seen you as almost robotic do you know what i mean you're like yeah. flawless to these people because you are the winner and you're successful and no doubt you were the best in every age group all the way through and then suddenly you feel empty you can't see mm-hmm. a future would you take us to the the hardest moment in and the darkest period before you came out the other side well i think it was probably not not long before i then almost had the courage to then talk to people around me um and i think just kind of not having any motivation to do anything was 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 tough but i think the worst bit about it was like i i knew that probably having more of a structure in my day would help i knew that exercising a little bit like i'd done no exercise like i knew that exercising would probably help help me feel a bit more energized and feel better I knew that eating better would probably help, but I I lacked so much motivation, which I'm I almost I'm probably being too hard on myself now. But I almost look back and I'm I'm still disappointed in myself for feeling so demotivated that I didn't even want to get up and do those three things to help myself feel better. And I think that's the worst bit about it was I was in a, such a rut I didn't even want to help. Yeah, myself. But you were unwell. Like this was a mental health episode. This wasn't laziness or. But that's what I idleness. felt like I was. I felt like I was being lazy. I felt like I was useless. I felt like I was just, just a waste of space. And that was the mindset and that was the kind of the headspace that I was in. And the hardest bit was, was struggling to get out of it, but not even doing anything to help myself get out of it. And that was what I absolutely hated. But I think probably being hard on myself probably drove me further because I almost got annoyed with myself even more. At the moment, like I said, I'm still learning. I don't have all the answers and I'm still trying to, on a phase where I'm on that massive learning curve. But I think the two things that stand out to me now in terms of what, what's helped is talking. I know people say it, but it's not an easy thing to do. And it wasn't easy for me, uh, definitely. It was really out of my comfort zone. But talking to people cleared it up in my head made me realise how I was feeling, made me get it out there and made me almost feel more comfortable in my own skin that, you know, it is what it is. That's how I felt. And I'm not ashamed to say that I felt like that. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And then I think the second thing was almost having that, it, it wasn't it wasn't having a structure, it wasn't exercising, it wasn't eating better because the moment I had a target but almost a, a goal that, I had but the pathway to get there and I think it was the pathway I'm not going to say it, it was like that and I was better because it doesn't work like that but all of a sudden I was a lot happier so what was the target you you managed to find it was the deciding factor in terms of realizing that the reasons why I said that I was done with gymnastics was because I was scared of failing almost turning around and flipping out on its head and completely then talking to people around me um, and realising that I'm talking about the the negatives a lot about coming back to gym because Leah always used to talk to me when I was struggling through that period Leah was always used to say you sure don't want to go and try back in the gym or just go go in and have a bit of fun because I wasn't even really going in and I was adamant I was like no I'm done 
And I think the more I was talking, the more I started to flip to the positive sides of it. Um, and I started almost ending the conversation on a positive note of coming back. And that was almost telling me something. And it was that that kind of then made me feel a little bit more uplifted, more energized, because I almost had, okay, almost a challenge. Yeah. Like, it almost feels to me like a comeback in a way. Um, almost feels like a new challenge that I've got on my plate. I know it's going to be difficult. I'm like six, seven years over peak. Like, I'm only getting older. Each year that goes by as a learning curve. And this year has been the biggest learning curve. I'm competing against youngsters in their prime. But now, coming out the other side in, in terms of having that something but more so the pathway and the journey are more excited and more refreshed and more willing to be open and honest and not keep up this mask of yeah it's all fine and dandy let's go let's move forwards almost having the feeling of do you know what I'm gonna gonna give it a shot because I think I'll never get this opportunity again and I think it's something that 10 years 20 years down the line one I feel like I've got responsibility um, with my little girl Willow now that the decisions I make, I don't want her to rub off in a bad way. So if I decide that I'm done now, I truly believe that it'll be me quitting gymnastics because it's not what I've believed in. It's not me hitting my potential, pushing my pushing the boundaries. So I don't want to quit. I'll never quit and I never want to teach that lesson to Willow. The second thing is 10, 20 years down the line as well, I'll regret it. So would I look back and actually think, if I didn't just push on for another two years to try and go to my fourth Olympic Games and have the opportunity to do that, 100%, 100% I look back and think, why oh, was I so silly to not just give it a shot? And I think that's what it's all about. And I think that's where my search for, it's not searching for contentment, it's searching for right, what am I capable of? Where can I push the boundaries to? And you never know, 10, 20 years down the line, hopefully I can look back and be and feel content with what I've done in my gymnastics career. I love that. I think it's a really powerful distinction here that for many of us, myself included, listening, that you can either play not to lose or you can play to win. Mm. So you can either protect yourself against the losses or you can dare to go after yeah. something big. I'm interested though in what is winning now for you? Because like you said, you've just given lots of reasons why you're going up against younger athletes. Yep. What you said, six or seven years beyond what's considered to be your prime as a young athlete, you're doing fourth Olympics. You're going into a territory now that very few gymnasts mm. have ventured. So what's your definition of winning? I think for me, in terms of feeling like I've won now, in terms of feeling, looking back, feeling content with my career, I think it will be giving it everything, giving it my best shot taking and grabbing opportunities not stopping because I'm worried about what it looks like or stopping because I'm worried about how I feel if it doesn't go to plan almost just pushing those boundaries and and grabbing an opportunity to really try and see what I'm capable of and see where my potential can get me to um, because I do feel like I've got more in the tank and I'd like to see where that can go does it feel similar to that first Olympics you went to yeah I feel like fully, fully refreshed, like fully energized, like a young, like a young Max going to try and just give it my best shot. It's crazy that it's managed to do that for myself because that weight on my shoulders after and during Tokyo, I generally, before my feet hit the floor on that pommel horse routine, I generally said to myself, I can't, I said to myself, I can't believe I've just done that. And it's so easy to brush those words off, but I generally couldn't believe it. I felt like I had the weight like like huge weight on my shoulders yeah. and I feel like that's just completely lifted wow. so I'm listening to it and it reminds me of we had Kath Bishop on 
the circle that we have here with the podcast and she speaks about this idea of the long win mm. that you don't just measure a career in terms of medals and trophies and yeah. and accolades you measure it in terms of who you became along the way yeah. and that's far more significant and what has struck me listening to your answer here max is i know that a gold medal at the next olympics is a target but that's not what you've referenced it's not about winning the gold it's about the person you're going to be for willow when she looks at you yeah I, don't get me wrong competitiveness never stops like my yeah. inner competitiveness is, is crazy like even when i'm playing a game with willow like i'm competitive like oh, that yeah. never stops yeah it's probably like it's ridiculous but um i think that's a good thing you know I, I really do but i think like i think you're right i think it's the learnings you take who you become the impact you're making in terms of you know, because one of, one of my favourite comments that I've had throughout my whole career is when I get it that their their son and daughter started gymnastics because of me. They started sport because of me. I think to be able to have that impact is a huge privilege. Like, and one, a position I'd never, ever thought I'd be in to be able to have that impact on youngsters out there. This now, the position that I've been in and those learnings that I've taken from that and what I'm still learning now and I'll still be learning on this two-year journey towards Paris 2024 Olympics when you learn something it means that you can also help others and I think this is massive because the comments that I've had the support I've had um, has been incredible and I was really nervous about that but I think the comments that I've had in terms of people going through that and feeling the same is crazy and I think you can help a lot of people by talking out. And have you come to realise that having a mental health struggle talking about it and dealing with it is not a weakness as yeah. I think so many people are told but it is actually a real show of strength yeah I have and I've had a lot of comments to say how brave I am in talking out and it almost felt weird to me um but I've learned that yeah it's in terms of in myself it's 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 made me more confident it definitely is a strength but when you're in that position and you feel like it's a weakness it's really hard to think of this side of it and thinking that talking out is going to be a strength of yours it, it just feels like so far mm. apart from each other but now yeah 100% talking out has helped me feel more confident um, in terms of how I'm feeling how I'm moving forward more open more honest um, just being more comfortable in my own skin being more comfortable with myself with everything and I think that's crazy I think that's crazy for something that I thought would have the opposite effect yep. has made me come out feeling like that and it's real win-win I was really nervous I was really really nervous about coming out you know, I was nervous about talking today about it because it's still it's still new for me mm. but I was also really really excited because the more you talk the more I'm talking about it the more refreshed I'm feeling the more excited I'm feeling about moving forwards and I think like you say for, for the people that that's helping for me to have an impact in terms of helping people through this and through talking out that's crazy for me to be in a position where I can, can do that. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift, and many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go, the neuroscience-based personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile... I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network and you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com HPP. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I think the important thing from my perspective, though, is how can we set up sporting bodies or training or competing or even in schools, in PE lessons, Mm. young people's mindsets? How can we set people up so they don't have to get to where you got to to realise that it's going to be okay? It's a, it's a big question. I think there's, there's so much that goes with it. I would love to sit here and say I've got the, all the answers to solve that. But I know there needs to be more that's done, mm. 100%. But I think the tricky thing is that I was one of these people that never, ever thought I'd be in that position through sport, ever. Yep. Um, so I never thought I'd be in that, fall into that, that rut. So for me, even if there was something out there, I probably wouldn't have gone to it or, or reached out for that help because I thought I'd never be that person, but the, which is the, the real point challenge. is, though, you thought you'd never be that person, right? Yeah. That has a negative connotation. Maybe the conversation needs to be... I think if you're an elite athlete, right, yeah. I personally believe you're more predisposed to mental health problems because you are disciplined, you're determined, yeah. you're focused, yeah. you put pressure on yourself. Yeah. You do all of these things that actually can send you closer to the edge because that's where the success lies but that's also where the challenge lies as well yeah so maybe the very fact that i never thought i'd be this person that's the problem there you go yeah i completely agree i couldn't agree more so 100 percent more needs to be done and i 
like I said, I'd, I'd love to literally spill out all the answers. Um, and hopefully over this kind of two year period, I'll learn more and more because I'm, I'm guaranteed to have more conversations about it now that I've spoke out about it. I'm talking to a lot more people about it, what's helped them um, in a similar situation. But then also, I, yeah, I would 100% love to have the conversations on how we can help um, future generations that are coming through. And you're the product of a very specific environment uh, within British gymnastics where maybe those emotions have been taught to be bottled up, don't get too high, don't get too low, get on with it. And some of those consequences of that culture at British Gymnastics have hit the headlines over recent years for the kind of bullying or the toxicity of it. So what I'm interested in, Max, is what kind of advice would you give to people that are overseeing that culture, people within that culture that maybe could lead to different conversations that ultimately have have made people easier dealing with some of these challenges? I think it's... um taking more learnings on board along the way along the journey but really taking those learnings and putting them into place I think it's very easy to kind of stick in old ways and I think the constant kind of redeveloping the the learning phases that we all go through how can we take those learnings and put them into place I think that's difficult I think it's really difficult but I think you know in terms of as a sport we're definitely in a better position than we was and I think that's because we're, we're listening more we're listening more to in terms of individuals as individuals and I think that's that's what's helping us move forward which is absolutely crucial because everybody works differently um, in different ways everyone competes under pressures in different ways everyone reacts in, in different environments in different ways and I think it's important to learn those the more time we spend with individuals and listening to more about kind of the athletes and how people are feeling the more we're going to be equipped on how to deal with different situations in the future. There's been, you can't be around the bush, there's been some tough times for a lot of athletes within, within the sport. You know, it was hugely brave for those people to talk out, but I think we, you know, we are looking in a better position now and it's thanks to those people because, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, we're going to be in a better position because of those conversations and listening to those people. So just for people listening to this, what were some of the old school practices that maybe you grew up with that you do feel need to shift my journey in my career i've loved every minute of it yeah so it's very hard for me to sit in that category which i'm fortunate enough to do you know i've i've loved every minute of my gymnastics career but i think one thing for me is that it's always been fun i've always had that balance don't get me wrong, sport is hard, sport is intense at times. But to make sure that you have a balance of it, of it being fun, you're being chilled, you're enjoying every moment of it is, is absolute key. A, a simple explanation of it, if you ask a child to do 10 sit-ups, it's boring. They get bored and it's just not something that anybody wants to do in, in terms of that young, that age. But if you get a child to do an activity that has the same positive effect as 10 sit-ups and it's a game, I think that that is really, really important. So for me, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed the challenge and I've had that amazing balance of it. But I think, you know, there's, you know, been some old school ways of teaching that have stayed that way all the way through. So I think it's, again, it goes back to those learnings, those modern ways to to educate yourself on how, how it's best to work with youngsters, how it's best to move forwards and how it's best to get the most out of youngsters. And also the transition from, you know, being a youngster trainer as a gymnast and as an athlete the transition from that to a senior gymnast, it's a big jump, but the transition in between is crucial. For me, as, you, as a youngster, your coach 
it has the experience your coach knows exactly like what we need to do what we need to do try to try to get to you know where you want to be but it has to work and then has to merge into a partnership of okay we're both experiencing this in this situation we're both learning everyone knows the best and how they're doing and I think it's taking learnings from those pointers working and building that relationship as a partnership to get the most out of everybody well I hope they learn a lot from the experience that you've gone through in the past little while mm. You said you do 36 hours a week in the gym. Used to, yeah. Used to. <laughs> How many hours would you work on your mental health in those 36? Zero. Zero. Yeah. And how many times in your career has someone come to you and said, well done, won a gold medal, go and decompress with a psychologist or a therapist? So the interesting part of it is that support has been there. But you didn't take it? No. But this is where I think we have to help our athletes and say, listen, 100%. you let us make the decision for you, right? You know, when it comes to, um, I don't know, uh, doing press-ups before you start, you know, lighting your warm-up, it's, it's a non-negotiable, right? You can't say, I don't fancy doing the press-ups. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go straight onto the pommels. Yeah. We need to have the same mindset for, for people working with psychologists. It's non-negotiable. If you're going to be an athlete competing for Team GB, you have five hours a week with a therapist, with a psychologist. You share your feelings. But what's hard is I didn't realise until I was in that rut. Because yeah, you're not meant to realise, but the people who run your sport, who see you now sitting here yeah. saying, I was maybe I, a day from retiring, they must see. Yeah. And they must change. But I, I think it was, it was me. It was me because I almost had that kind of, I wanted to come across the right way, but in a feeling of what I'm doing is working. Hmm. I know what you mean. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to muck with You're that. there to protect yourself, right? Yeah. And I didn't want to, but I they're there wanna, to protect you as well. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. They're the experts in it. And a hundred percent, there will be psychologists that will be screaming at me because they'll be thinking I, I could have come to them. Yeah. They could have helped me. And 100 percent it would have, because for me, I've realized that actually, you know, throughout that time talking and no doubt, that talking and getting it out there um, about how you're feeling and me bottling it up and putting a mask on the whole way through, me talking about that would have probably stopped it crumbling at a certain period. It's like 100%, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, but for me, my mindset was, I don't want to interfere or change something yeah. that's working for me. And I'm on that, I'm on that pathway I get it. and I want to keep it going. So when you won an Olympic gold, what, this is one of our favourite questions, what percentage of it was down to technique and physicality so the and how much of it would say was down to your mindset and the psychology it's a tricky one um i think in the very moment of performing a routine it's pretty much probably 90 percent up there 90 percent mental physically you can do all the work and you know the whole build up we roughly do a three month build up towards building towards any competition no matter if it's a small comp or olympic games it's the same it comes back to consistency but I think that, yeah, physically, obviously mentally in that part of it has to be right. But physically, that's, that's, that's tough. Building the, the kind of the stamina, the endurance, the fitness to get to that kind of peak condition where you need to be to compete. When you're out there, there's, especially when you're a couple of minutes out before you compete, there's nothing more you can do. Like it's done even week, two weeks out, there's not really much more physically you can do. You're there, whatever level you're at, that's what you're at. So I think then it's, it's a mental game. And that's where you see in sport, especially, but in any pressured environment, the most talented people in the world that would win every day in the training gym crumble under the, that, that pressure because it's a mental game. That's what's hard about 
sport because it's, it's cutthroat. You you could have these amazing, amazing athletes, best in the world, best, like literally would win train every day, but it won't be that person all the time that wins on the day of the competition because you, you have to be able to compete. And those people that can't compete could be the best gymnasts in the world, but they've never got to show it. So take us with you in those moments before you get the call. Come on, you've got to perform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take us inside your mind at that moment to give us an understanding of, because you have learned to cope with it, whether you got help or support or not, you've found a method mm. to be able to execute what's going on. I go through a routine on what I do every time before that pummel routine that I meant to perform, whether it's in my gym back at home, um, the warm up, everything that goes into it, the way I'm chalking up, the way I step up to the handles, the way I present, the way I start my routine, everything is literally trying to mirror what I do in the gym, what I do every single time. So for my head, I'm literally, okay, I've done my warm up. I'm now walking through whatever the process is, wherever you have to go. I don't talk much throughout that time. Um, go through, Scott knows how I work now. We both work like literally amazingly together. We both walk through, you know, I do work, we work the best. I go through, I'm not even really thinking about almost the routine too much. I don't, I couldn't even tell you what I'm thinking about, but almost I'll try and probably not think about much at all. Blank my mind in, in a way as much as you possibly can because you don't want to let things creep in that could change what you've done. You know, you've just, I've just built up a lot of confidence because hopefully, and they did, those warm ups have gone spot on. Warm ups perfect, perfect, perfect. I get there, everything's smooth. I go, I sit there, I wait. I go, I do routines. Everything's in line, everything's consistent. And I think for me in my head, that's massively important. And like I said, I go up there to compete a routine. I truly believe that what surrounds that, if that's a routine, my performance is going to be more consistent if what I do surrounding it is consistent. If you're faffing around and you're doing this and yeah. that, you're not going to approach it with the same mindset. You're not going to approach it with the same mentality. But for me, I try and do that every single so time. So you in flow at that point? I'm kind of in autopilot in a zone. Yeah, because um, Johnny Wilkinson was with us and he said, you know, he said, you see it with kickers in rugby. He said, they're in the flow, they're playing the game, they're totally in the game and then they win a penalty and suddenly they stand upright and they start having ticks and they start breathing differently. <laughs> and he's like, they've gone straight into a red brain. They've left flow completely and now it's, and now it's not natural, you know? And a really interesting point is that I've had to learn that. So that doesn't, that doesn't come, like that doesn't come naturally. I think um, that is massively a learned thing because there was definitely times, competitions and experiences where I've had where things have massively put me off. Like what? I don't, I don't know if I've ever told this story. World Championships 2014. I had a lot of external pressures. I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I was kind of working my way up through the ranks. And I, I had my tracksuit on. I went to the toilet and it was in China. Chinese toilets are very, very different in a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> to our toilets. Literally a hole in the floor. And for me being so routine, so structured, I, I look back and think it's so perfect. I got a wee on my trousers. It threw me. It threw me massively. Because then... I took my trousers off, put in, like, I'm wearing different stuff. It wasn't my routine. Um, it wasn't kind of what I'd almost planned. And it, it sounds crazy, but that threw me off big time. I don't think I've, I've really told many people that. And what um, happened to your performance? It suffered from it. I didn't make final. I was very lucky because 
certain scenarios happened that I managed to then, you know, an injury um, on the team meant that I would actually go in to the final. But that was pure luck. And almost, I didn't want to go into that final. I remember sitting there saying, I don't want to do it because I didn't deserve it. And I went in, I done it. I, I come out with silver, my best result to date at that time. Um, but the qualification one was when that happened through me. Completely, completely it me. A friend of mine was telling me recently, he had a really good, he said, we get caught up in this talk of marginal gains, yeah. but we never talk about marginal losses. Because if you think everything's there to be gained, that gives you that little percentage point. Yeah. Those things are also there that can take away a percentage yeah. point. And, you know, like whether it's, like the example he was using is if you if you told athletes for years, keep your feet up when you're not competing, and then you send them to the Olympic Village and the canteen is a kilometre walk away. Yeah. <laughs> that then starts to play havoc with your sense of routine that I shouldn't be mm. doing this and you're Big panicking. Time. I talk about how consistent it is, my routine, all that stuff. But I've I've had to learn that it can only be based on what you can control. It really can be. So if you can take those things off to help you get in a routine, help you be in the right mindset to go out and compete under like crazy pressures, then that's great. But you have to, and I've learned from situations like that story, I've, you, you have to be able to be adaptable at the same time. You have to. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to learn from that, be able to adapt, and at certain times, be flexible and go with the flow with it, but also have your structure at the same time. See, I'm, I'm excited for you because I think Paris 2024 it's going to be the first time that you're able to compete on the biggest stage of all with freedom. I hope so. I hope so. And for me, I feel, I feel the same in a way in terms of I'm, I'm refreshed. I'm energized. Like I said, I feel like a young Max going into competitions. I cannot wait. I, I literally genuinely excited. I feel like from going from the decision to make, making that I'm done to then feeling like now I'm coming back and I actually almost feel like I'm massively lucky to be in a position where I can continue. I have an opportunity here and I want to grab it. So you know, I'm generally excited, refreshed. I can kind of do this two-year push to, to Paris. But on the journey, be more open and honest with myself, yeah. with everyone. And just, you know, if I'm going and preparing for a competition and it isn't going to plan, it's what it is. And take those sessions with the psychologist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Just, we're going to finish with our quick fire questions if you don't mind the first one is what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into that inner competitiveness that I told you about yeah that's key commitment from myself from my team everyone's got to be in it and have that commitment there and I think what I spoke about there be able to compete under pressure like I said some of the most talented people never get to show what they're actually capable of what advice would you give to a teenage Max just starting out <laughs> Go to psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose it, I suppose accept accept help when it when it's when it's often even if you feel like you don't need it. You know, be more open and honest. Um, kind of, I, I understand the point of what I what I mentioned in terms of if if something's working, don't interrupt it. But I think it's good to have people around you that actually are experts that potentially may have seen this happen before. Um, yeah. can read situations like this and also think potentially right the, the mindset of this potentially can't, may not be sustainable so almost kind of almost arm yourself for every scenario mm. but give yourself that give yourself the opportunity to be armed with that for me I didn't I rode on through like it was fine and dandy and that's where it, it didn't work out Is there one book 
podcast or something that you would recommend to our listeners to delve into that's helped you in your mindset over the years? I went through a stage of listening to Gary V. So Gary Vaynerchuk quite a yeah. lot. And I think his morals, his beliefs, um, his, his, his work ethic, but also trying to find something and making sure that people find something that they love, they enjoy. I think is key. I think he puts a lot of things in, into perspective. He did for me in, in, in various occasions. And I think I think we're in a world now where I truly believe opportunities are endless. Um, I think we're in a world where you can afford to do something that that you do have a passion for, that you do love, and that you can you can make it sustainable to make that your living because we're in a in a world where, like I said, it's opportunities are there. Mm. I think that's an amazing place to be in. If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Whenever I ask this, I always think about um, the first first thing that comes to mind is my wedding day. Um, the memories from that, everyone there, one place, incredible um, day. Like we put everything in to make sure it was everything that it could possibly be. But I think there's a moment on your wedding day when you sit at the top table and you you look, just look out. Um, and I think that's a, a surreal moment but almost an amazing moment to look back on and think that that was a time, a day where everybody was there, all had an amazing time. And I think, yeah, I think if you could, if you could replay that, I would. Um, so that's the one that comes to mind, my, yeah, first thought. This one is for all those young gymnasts dreaming of being the next Max Whitlock. And we need a really honest answer to this. When you won your first gold medal, how long did the thrill last before you moved on to the next one? In a way, not that long, but, but in a way forever. I think um, for me, like I said, I forget about results and I move forward. So in terms of that, the initial thought process and the initial kind of amazing feeling of achieving what you never thought you would or achieving your the pinnacle or your dream, yeah, probably a few weeks. But then if you move on and you go to the next thing, it goes to the back of your mind. But at the same time, it's never, ever going to be taken away from you. And I think that's what I realised. So you can always look back at that moment and it will always be there. So in a way, not for long. Yeah. Johnny Wilkins said forever. that winning the Rugby World Cup lasted 30 seconds for him. <laughs> 30 seconds. Yeah. Because you guys are yeah. made up in that way, you know, where it's... And the reason why I ask the question is because I, I want young athletes or any young person to realise that this is about the process. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination. If you spend your life waiting to be happy when you win that thing, you'll be waiting. 100% and and I it was funny because me and the boys have, have had this conversation and, and I and it almost is a way and a technique of taking pressure of yourself and I think it's, it could be quite good for, for people if they struggle with pressure and I think it's if you think about that and you think about well if it goes amazing it's almost forgot about it in a couple of weeks after but it's exactly the same if it doesn't go to plan yeah. it's forgotten about a couple of weeks after and you can move forwards move on I think when you think about that, I think it puts a lot of things into perspective and then all you can do is just go and do you know what? You can give it your best shot and that's it. That's all anyone can ask yeah. for you. That's all you can be expected of and that's all that you actually can do on that day. Lovely. So with that in mind, what's your one golden rule for our listeners to live a high performance life? Um, never think you've got it all figured out. <laughs> I think um, no matter how successful you are, no matter how, how much you've done, um, you can always learn that golden nugget of bit of information from anybody with any experience, any knowledge or any lack of experience behind them. Um, so never take anyone for granted because you can learn something from everyone and nobody is better than anyone else. Love that. Fantastic. 
Damien. Jake. That was a fascinating conversation because he's almost had no time to process it, has he? He's kind of still in, in the midst of this. Yeah, and he's told us that, you know, but I think there's a beauty there in allowing us into that thought process. He's not presenting this as some beautifully packaged way of thinking. It's something that he's walked into a room and he's exploring, he's discovering, and that is almost more powerful. I do get a sense, though, that what he's saying and doing is going to prevent other people or help other people who are either on the same path or might end up on the same path. But I also think that we need to do something to totally change the mindset, not just of him, but of all young people in this country that, you know, when he says, oh, I decided not to do the, the, the work with the psychologists or the yeah. therapists, he, that's because no one told him that it is as important as the press-ups and the pull-ups and the stretching. And, you know, it's, it should be a vital part of his training. It should be a vital part of everyone's training, no matter what their walk of life. Yeah, I mean, in Max's world, there can only be one Olympic champion in a discipline at any one time. So by definition, there's lots of people that, if that's our only criteria of success, there's lots of people that fail. Whereas I think what meeting with therapists, psychologists and the psychiatrists that can help him understand is, it's not about what you achieve, it's who you become in the process that's more significant. And I think that's where Max's journey over the next two years is going to be utterly fascinating to watch the person that he becomes on this quest. Not to, whether he wins an Olympic gold medal or not, he's already won by the fact that he's decided that he's going to stretch himself, he's going to go beyond his comfort zone. And that's where we need to shift the focus of our attention, not on whether he's on the podium in uh, Paris in two years' time or not. Life's funny, isn't it, though? I mean, all the things that he thought he was setting himself up to be successful with and that were helping him be successful are also the very things that undo you. You know, they've undone him in a mental sense. Yeah. But also, like, that story, that amazing story he told us where he got a bit of urine on his trousers and it totally derailed him. And that's because he thought that having that strict, rigid approach to everything was going to was going to give him success, which it will, until everyone's got a plan to get a punch on the in the face, right? As was famously said. So actually, freedom is is where people will find true success and a success that's got a real foundation to it because it can't be derailed. Yeah, that's a it's a really powerful point. I love that example of him because when we're talking about we get caught up in this view that marginal gains is where it's at, but again, we look at marginal losses and the detrimental effect that that can have. And I think when we can almost overcome both of them by having both the discipline for the stuff we can control, but the flexibility to go with it. You know, we've said loads of times that it's nice to have a clear focus on where you want to get to, but it's equally nice to be flexible on the route that you choose to get there. Is a really good example of uh, what Max, or the place that Max is now in. Well, I'm, I'm sad for him he went through it. But I'm happy for him that he's emerged the other side in, in the way that he has. And I, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating watching what happens next for him. Yeah, and I hope there's a lot of listeners out there that it has the same effects that it's had on us in the immediate aftermath of it, that it makes us stop and pause and reflect a little bit on this narrative that, you know, first is first and second is nowhere. And some of these old aphorisms that often get banded about and start to see that, it's who you become in the process of going after your goals that is actually the f- true definition of high performance. Thanks, mate. Loved it. Thanks, mate. 
And don't forget, if you want to hear what was said when the microphones carried on rolling, we have a subscription service, High Performance Plus. Our premium service brings you even more from our high performance guests. It's time to meet another high performance listener. This time, someone on the other side of the planet from where we are. Hey, Dan. Hi, Jake. How are you? Very well, thanks. I will permit the one second delay between us and you because I'm in Norwich, Damien's in Manchester, and you are in... Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. So why are you on high performance? Tell us everything. Oh, well, yeah. So I, I bumped into Damien um, in um, in Manchester. Um, having, you believe you were having lunch with your family, weren't you, Damien, just outside? And That's right, yeah. I sort of walked past and I, I was with my brother and I said, I think that's fitting from high performance. Um, and it was one of those things, and Jake, this is actually one for you as well. I actually walked past you once outside BBC Television Centre and I didn't go over and say thank you for the podcast. This is years ago as well. So this was early days of the podcast. And I sort of thought to myself always, I regret not going over and saying thank you. Thank you for what though, Dan? Candidly, it's changing my life, honestly. The, the pod, absolutely. You used to be saying the pod as well. I never used to say that. And um, it has <laughs> absolutely changed my life. It completely changed my mindset. The, the person I was when I started taking in this content compared to the person I am now and all the people that you've spoken to in between and the incredible differences between them, but then the incredible similarities between them as well. It's massively changed my mindset and the way I sort of approach my life. So for context, Dan, you, so, you, so you're an actor by training, yeah, and a comedian as well. So tell us about, when you say about changing your life, tell us a little bit around your own journey. Absolutely. So I was, I, I studied uh, a politics degree and then I moved from politics degree into working for businesses, working in, in sales. I was always told, oh, Dan, you know, you can, you can talk to people, go and, go and work in sales. So I did. And then uh, I sort of got on that, on that ladder and I was working with people and I was surrounded by people and I was enjoying it and enjoying the culture and enjoying earning money, but I was never fulfilled. Uh, I always loved performing. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been a performer. And I've always loved making people laugh. It's always been the number one thing that I love to do. And I always wanted to make my own comedy. And I, you know, I had somewhat of an acting career. I was represented, all this kind of thing. But my focus was never on that. And unsurprisingly, I was full of excuses as to why that was. And then this, this podcast effectively became... I know, Damien, you've spoken about this in, in the before. It became one of my monkeys, these five monkeys that we all have. The podcast became one of those, and it allowed me to take personal responsibility over what I was doing and reflect and hearing the people that come on this podcast speak so incredibly honestly about themselves. encouraged me to look at myself and be honest with myself. And why am I where I am? Well, it's because of my actions. Here's how I can change it. So then from that, I've done a little you turn in what I'm doing. I'm no longer working in that kind of environment anymore. And I'm making my own comedy and releasing it twice a week. It reminds me of like when we met Russell Kane on one of the live shows that we did and put out on a podcast, he, he spoke about that moment when people come over and say to him, uh, you know, I'd love to be a comedian like you. And he, he says, he says to him, it's the equivalent of go over to that exercise equipment in the gym go and work on it for two years and then come back and we'll see where you are then. It's that idea of having to actually do the work of learn your craft. And so what are the key messages in, in that journey of you deciding to pursue this career and set up your comedy channel then Dan that, that you think our listeners might benefit from understanding? 
Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many, aren't there? And I mean, it, it's almost referencing the ones that I've learned on here. And I think the biggest one for me was failure. And that's the biggest thing, I think, within performance. And I learned that from this podcast, from people that aren't in performance. Uh, I know we've had a number of people that are performers. You know, you've had the almighty Matthew McConaughey, haven't you? But it's, it's all the people in business. It's all the people in sport that come in and talk about failure and you know i release a video and it could absolutely flatline it could do nothing and originally that was the most daunting aspect of starting anything like this what if i tell a joke on the internet that i can never get back and no one finds it funny and i mean that happened last week i took a mick out of duolingo and no one found it funny but i'm no longer afraid of that and when i first started it was terrifying absolutely terrifying but it taught me to sort of um What's that? It's the, it's the, the quote that Damien said a number of times, give up the, your love of money and your fear of death. I would say the high performance version of that is give up your love of money and your fear of failure, and then you can live freely. And I feel like it's the biggest lesson for me. Brilliant. Where can people find your work, Dan? Uh, at Daniel Robert Lockett, all one word on Instagram is, uh, is where I'm currently releasing everything. I love it, Dan. When I've, when I've seen it ever since we met, I have a look at it and I think you're incredibly talented. So, and I can see that you're developing as well. So that's brilliant. Very kind words. Thank you, Damien. Well, how about that then for a, a powerful guest and a powerful conversation? Um, Max, on behalf of the whole team, thank you so much for being brave enough to come on and be as honest as you were. You know, I think often sports stars are okay to talk about their challenges and their struggles when they've retired because it feels a bit safer. But for someone who is in the middle of his career, for someone who is still competing, for someone who is looking forward to a big challenge of the next Olympics, for you to come on here and talk as you did, I know will help so many people. So thank you, Max. And if you've been touched by what you heard today, please spread the learnings you're taking from these conversations. That's what can make a real difference to the world. Thanks to the whole team of Finn and Hannah, Will, Eve, Gemma, Callum, and many other people. Remember, there is no secret, okay? It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you soon. 